Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. It's episode 410 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. Ten episodes into our 400. There you go. See, we're motoring along. Maybe 500 before we don't know. No, don't wish one's life away. That's terrible. What are we here to talk about in this episode? Good question. In this episode, I talked to a chap called Thomas Rawlings of Auroc Digital Games. Or just Auroc Digital. I believe that's what they're called. And I ask him, about the design and development of their digital transformation, hence the digital in the name, see, of the tactical board game Ogre. Now, Ogre, it's a very, very old game by Steve Jackson. No, not that one, the other one. And because um, there's, there's sad, well, I say sadly, there's two Steve Jacksons making games. Anyway, Ogre's been around for decades, in fact, 40 years now. And it's been ported to computers over the years several times. Uh, it was even on the Commodore 64 way back when. I would know that because I'm really old. That aside, this is a brand new version of said game. I've always liked Ogre. The idea being that this one super tank versus many other smaller units trying to take it on. And there's various ways they can do this. They can even break inside the machine, try to mess up its innards to try to, you know, slow it down because it is an all-conquering, devouring monster of a, a tank. It's very hard to actually take it down. Normally, you just chase it off. <laughs> it's quite extraordinary, these little scenarios that you, you play. And it's typically a two-player game uh, where one player is taking control of the ogre where the other player is taking control of the others who are trying to stop it. And this is a really, really great implementation of a very complex in terms of strategies and tactics, but not in terms of play, uh, game. <laughs> it is very easy to master. But, uh, sorry, very easy to understand, but very, very difficult to master. Similar to chess in some regards, although I would argue chess isn't that easy to understand at all when you really, really think about it. And we do delve into that aspect of making tactical board games or digital versions of very well-known 
tactical board games and put them into a digital format. You'd think it would be straightforward and easy. And in fact, it isn't because it's so easy to stray into the realms of making it into more of a video game. And in fact, you want more to, you want to keep the spirit of the original game without diluting it too much. You can use advantages of the fact that you don't have to lay out a big board and that kind of thing. You just, you've just got you on the screen and that's great. But yeah, I'm going to say any more. I'm going to let me from the recent past talk to Tom about Ogre. Chris, take it away. Thomas. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Well, firstly, thank you very much, Chris, for the invite on the podcast. So, yes, right. uh, my name is Thomas Rawlings and I am the studio director of Auroc Digital. And as of towards the end of uh, last year, so 2021, we became part of the Sumo Digital uh, family of companies. Uh, and so, yeah, I run the studio and all the various things that running a studio entails, which is a mix from dealing with odd stuff to do with claims of receipts of invoices right through to the really cool bits of deciding and you know strategizing on what projects we will undertake and do. Um, although the company itself, Auroc Digital, we've been around for um, uh, coming up for 12 years now. So we've been in the industry for a while. And myself, as a, I started out as a games designer in the industry and i've been in the industry for about 25 years so well wow. uh, in that grizzled veteran status basically <laughs> so this leads us on to our second question which is quite common i have a lot of guests flow into it without me asking it but how did you make it start making video games thomas oh yes so yeah. um yeah i mean started long enough ago that yeah, there's a, there's a bit. There, there weren't like clear routes in back in that day. There weren't clear routes into video games. So you know, in a way, now you can do courses and things like that. And plenty of companies have graduate recruitment programs and all this kind of stuff. That that just didn't exist. Um, so I always knew I wanted to make games, and I, and you know, I the first attempts at making video games were on the ZX81, and then I kind of tried making stuff. Uh, tried making a side-scrolling shooter. Tried making a a kind of sort of first-person shooter, though it wasn't quite like that, um, on BBC Micro. But, you know, and I did a lot of, like, where again, which will be pertinent to this discussion, played a lot of board games and RPGs. So, you know, Warhammer, D&D, Ogre, stuff like that. So, you know, very much around it. Then, actually, uh, at university, I, I ended up doing psychology and communication, not because, again, there weren't these sort of courses. I worked for a little bit as an assistant psychologist, I worked for a bit as a residential social worker, and then, you know, wanted a bit of a break because it's quite an intense career. And uh, a guy I knew was an animator at a studio called Hot House Creations in Bristol, and they were looking for a game designer, an assistant game designer, just as a temporary role. It was going to be like a three-month contract. And it was like, yeah, that, that's the thing I could do. And I, you know, really fancy doing it. So I kind of interviewed for the job, got the job, and... Um, and then, yeah, basically never looked back, like never went back to the previous career. And, and yeah, the last 25 years, this is what I've done. It is amazing that these degree courses now exist, isn't it? The, the fact that mm. they've been around for about 15 years now, I think. Let's, let's not yeah, yeah, yeah. Ourselves. It's been around longer yeah, than yeah, people no. give them credit. It's uh, maybe, yeah, I think mid-2000s, because that was an auspicious yeah. time anyway, because yeah, yeah. that's when the iPhone arrived and then... <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've done guest lecturing. I've done guest lecturing on quite a few of the courses over the years, and mm. I, I taught regularly for a while on um, the University of West of England's um, games. I think it's called Games Tech course. Right. Uh, so you know, kind of been around them, and 
Yeah, like I say, I, I, I think the, the plus of like there being courses for this now, slight digression, is, you know, the, not, the good thing about doing a degree is you get this period of intense time to study, immerse yourself in a subject and not only immerse yourself in the subject. That's why I think the degree status is sometimes helpful, but but get around the parameters of that subject itself, not just, you know, what is game, you know, how do you make a game? But question the tenets of what a game is and how do we do it and all that. So that that's all very cool. Um, but yeah, it, it obviously then gets wrapped up in that whole thing of how that pipeline from university and, and all that, which is probably a whole episode or podcast in <laughs> itself. Uh, but yeah, I suppose it's to say, like you know, I'm well aware of that that as you say that thing that's been growing for the last sort of fifteen years of of how this how people get into the industry has shifted. Mm, mm. And for the, for the better, for good and ill, I don't know, but the fact that the barrier of entry has dropped quite significantly over the last 10 years, maybe even more, uh, 15 maybe, I think it's more approaching, um, is, you know, it's become a wealth of the broad spectrum of titles that now come out, the breadth of, mm. the breadth of content. I just love the fact that games like, I often cite these games, they're much older than people give them credit, Stanley Parable, for example, mm. You know, if you approach, yeah. if you tried to do that twenty years ago, like get out, no one's going to want this. Why would you laugh at the player? But no, this yes. game is reveling. Like, yeah, you're doing this. Why don't you do something more useful in your life? You know, it's just, it's um, and oh, papers, please is another one I often cite. Go, you know, yeah, try to pitch that to a publisher. Like, just to, to chase you out the building. It's like get out. No one wants this. But yeah it's just it's and uh but that's that's the benefit really but yeah and i, I think so you know the early days of Auroc, you know i was a consultancy we were a games development studio and i consulted nice. to big organizations you know did bits of work for like you you know that uk parliament um the bbc the welcome mm. trust places like that um and you know they are fascinated by games and saw you know to me that that was that period and this is about 10 years ago yeah is that period games went through i would say a kind of renaissance of understanding where people stopped seeing it as just well there's fighting games there's shooting games there's driving games yeah. and they're things for kids to starting to see it as a legitimate craft a legitimate art form and you know i think i think when game when any form of creativity starts to play with the expectations of the audiences and has things that are deliberately interpreted in the eye of the audience you know you and, and again there's probably a whole other episode you get into that thing of art but to me that is a a great thing like mm. i love the mm. fact that games have for want of a better term grown up and it's like just just as in say with film you films exist that are expressions of art and super arty films films exist that are just massive you know popcorn fests of silliness and then films exist on a spectrum between those and, and all and in between like films. No one expects films to only be cartoons for kids or only be super serious relationship dramas for adults. We're all comfortable that they're everything. And it's great now with games. that I think we're comfortable that games exist on this massive spectrum. I, I love that. And I, I play games that are shamelessly super fun. You know, so I, I picked up Shredder's Revenge, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles a title yeah, from yeah. Dotty. Yeah. been loving playing that it's a it's a fantastic game um but equally you're right the stanley parable kind of reissued um which which was great yeah you know, reminds just how cerebral and intelligent <laughs> and thought-provoking games can be so yeah i love it yeah. i love all of this stuff yeah Ooh, good stuff which 
handedly leads me on to my next question. It's as always I've done this before, Thomas, but uh, I've got a yeah, as uh, <laughs> as a um, as a creator of things, what do you believe are your biggest influences? You can say it as a personal thing or as indeed as Auroch. It's entirely up to you. But what do you think influences you the most? What do you, what do you find yourself gravitating towards, whether you like it or not? Yeah, uh, well, so, I mean, I think running a studio and having run a studio for a while now, the, the personal and the the company stuff inevitably merges because, you know, you're attracted to doing stuff you're interested in. You know, we're a business, so we, you know, sometimes have to do stuff because that's where we can earn a living to pay our wages and everything. But, you know, you still have a lot of leeway in that. And I, and I still within the Sumo group, I still have a lot of leeway of what we're doing. So naturally, I've gravitated towards two main areas. I would say the kind of the, the nerdery of, for want of a better term, digital tabletop. So games that, that are either started out on the tabletop and went digital or have a kind of tabletop aesthetic within them. We've done a lot of stuff in that. And that reflects my own longstanding interests, you know, in Ogre and Warhammer and D&D and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And then the other one, which features heavily in our body of work, is games that connect back to real world stuff. Um, so I'd cite Mars Horizon, you know, we worked with the European Space Agency on that. Um, you know, that was absolutely fascinating to do. Uh, it was a great, you know, it's great to be able to talk to people who actually are working on the ExoMars missions, sending, you know, probes to Mars, sending rovers onto the surface of Mars about how they do it. And then somehow te- try and convey that experience in a video game form was 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 a, both a interesting creative challenge and and just really fascinating to do. So yeah, it's a big it's a big kind of deal of of for me though those two sort of general areas are, are where I draw influence. Yeah, I, and, and, and I think we're unashamedly that real world connection has done over the years. We've done all sorts of stuff, political, climate change, you know, rights issues, all, all that. And I don't I don't really see us changing that. And again, you know, to me, you get into this whole thing of like, well, keep the politics out of X, and it's like, well. Fine, you know yeah. that. But you know there are games that that ostensibly claim not to have it, but every act within the design of something ultimately has a politics in it. Would be that politics with a small p. So you know a cooperative yeah. game is a very different design aesthetic from a competitive game, and yeah. how you allow people to compete and how you want people to cooperate. They are they are choices ultimately. You know. That, that can be seen as political with a small p, like I say. So even if you're not being overt in it. But, but yeah, we, we've played around with that loads. And, yeah, so, so all of those things are big influences in, in you know, what, I, yeah, what I'm interested in. What do you make of um, hybrid games? Now, for the listener, if you don't know what that is, it's like a board game with a digital component to it. So what do you make of those? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm again. We've we've played around with some of this stuff. I'm a little bit fasc- fascinated with it. You know, we we've looked at trying to get some of the ARG stuff into some of the games we've done. Mm. I think the tech. My experience with the technology with the experiments we've done is is not quite there yet. Mm. But you know, in board game circles, for example, what they call you know, use it using cardboard AI. So, uh, you know, basic AI using an app or some other device to extend yeah. the AI thing. Like I played, um, I'm playing uh, Gloomhaven at the moment. Like for those who don't know, it's this very big board game, which is like, yeah, it's like a, yeah, it's huge. It's, it's a fantastic game, physically really huge brilliant. as well as, but it is a fantastic yeah. game, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah, it's kind of like like Dungeons and Dragons combined with 
I, I don't know. Um, trying to think of a Twilight Imperium, maybe. I don't know. I mean, yeah. a massive game with a lot of yeah. hours. A um, lot of but yeah, chips, yeah. Yeah, we use a we use an app to kind of track some of the data scores within that because yeah. there's a lot of them you've got to track, and it does make a life a lot easier. So, yeah, and and again, you know, I, I think with that in mind, seeing stuff like virtualized game stuff, which obviously came out in during the pandemic. So, yeah, you know, again, I know with real interest watching the team who made Gloomhaven. You know, they created a sequel, Frosthaven, looked really fascinating, and they stuck a version of it up on Tabletop Simulator on Steam for free. So people can check it out, and then you know, yeah. and it's been one of the most successful board game kickstarters ever. Yeah. So you know, it's really interesting that crossover. So it, it's something we're very interested in. We, we're def- we're actively experimenting with projects around there, which is probably about as much as I can say. That's but yeah, I'm very fascinated with it. Yeah, yeah. Our personal experience, U Boat is one of the most ones I've played. It's um, as an app where. It really extends the concept of you, you have the periscope, so you use your iPad or phone as the periscope. <laughs> You're looking around, looking for ships to, to sink. Mm. Uh, and also, it has a microphone in the machine, of course. So when there's depth charges hitting, all the players have to be quiet. <laughs> so yeah. they, you can't be heard. It's just all this that's, little stuff. I didn't know that. That's really clever. <laughs> yeah, that's a very clever use of tech. I like that a lot. It's like very lot. good. And uh, another yeah. game I recently got, I got Kickstartled by. Kickstartled mm. is basically when something arrives, you go, oh, I forgot, I backed that. It just arrives. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Two years later. Yeah. Two years late. Uh, in. And um, so uh, Return to Dark Tower, which is a remake of the Dark Tower board game from the 80s. And that uses okay. an app. And there's the Dark Tower thing, device in the middle of the board. And it interacts with an app. And you do cards and stuff. And when it when the when the tower when the app does something, the tower moves around and does things and interacts physically with the app. It's quite extraordinary. It needs app. It needs batteries, of course, and makes whirring sounds. And it actually emits sounds as well. And it's like big explosions and stuff. It's just ridiculous. And uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you haven't seen a video of it, I say yeah, return to Dark Tower. Quite a thing. It's very very successful. Uh, I- <laughs> I will check that out. It's not one I've come across, but it sounds very cool. Yeah, yeah. So, next question then, and this one can be a little bit difficult to answer, and I'll let you answer in multiple... You can give more than one, but uh, what developer or video game developers do you most admire and why? Hmm, yes. No, that's a a good one. Um, Yeah, I, I... so the the developers of um, Darkest Dungeon. So I think Darkest Dungeon is a great game for lots of reasons. Big fan of Darkest Dungeon. Love Lovecraftian stuff. But what I really admire is the economy of how they've. You know, when you when you're creating games, one of your big challenges is 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 like, you know, you've got all these art assets to create for something, and the more variation that you want to put in the more assets you've got to get you know if you've got hot, the more characters say if it's an rpg type affair or, or or have you're expressing that the more characters you've got to put in the the more animations you need the more of everything you need and, and it exp- exponentially grows out and so that tends to push you to be a little more easy going on your ambitions because you know like that one small change can cascade like let's just let's just stick another class of character in it's like okay now i need 50 million assets to realize that character. 
I think what Darkest Dungeon, apart from being a brilliant game and really love it, uh, I'm very much looking, you know, you know, they've done so much good stuff with it, but just that economy of creating some very simple character assets that are realized in quite a simple way, but it never feels like they've not done the right thing by it. It never feels like they've um, not, you know, not, not done the economy in that. So that's fantastic. Another, you know, development studio at the moment that I'm hugely impressed by would be World Walker Games who do Wild Myth, um, which to me is a great example of something, you know, from what we've been talking about is the, 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 the taking of a thing we all sort of know that, that Dungeons and Dragons esque Pathfinder esque, you know, Warhammer fantasy esque path of characters in a role-playing game yeah. and coming up with that roguelike spin on it that is really refreshing and different. You know, it's that ability to take something you know and present it back to you in a way that's just their own take on it. That's just, and, and again, they've done it with their really beautiful art style. That's really unique to them. And so it doesn't feel like you're looking and going, oh, this is D&D. But you can see the roots of that sort of stuff in it. And yet their expression of it is their own thing. So yeah, yeah, two things that I'm, I'm a big fan of at the moment. We well, you'd be happy to know they've both been on the show before. Yes. Ah, creators of Wildermouth okay. and uh, and Darkest Dungeon. They've right. been past I'm, guests. I'm, so you can right, to... I'm going back through your, I'm gonna be Yeah. yeah. Go to the I'm archives. Going back through, yes, going back through the archives. Yeah. Uh, actually, Wildermouth is very, very, very recent, but uh, yeah, lovely people. I've got a lot of time yeah. for that game. Uh it's it's just infinite joy from playing that. Like yes. I've now got a head of a bird. I don't care. Let's keep going. <laughs> wonderful yeah. stuff and the whole presentation of the comic art and stuff, wonderful stuff mm. very very yeah. imaginative and you're right i'm a big role play tabletop role player as well i'm currently playing warhammer fantasy role play the latest one um going through yeah, enemy is within. it fourth edition yeah fourth edition now yeah doing an enemy within campaign it's quite quite a thing quite a thing but um yeah so let's move on to the last question of the first half See, you made it. Well done. Um, There's a standard question one has to ask when we're doing a video game podcast, and it is this. What are you playing right now? Well, Shredder's Revenge. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, you mentioned it. Yeah, that, that, yeah, very much enjoying that. Um, I've, I've actually been replaying Crisis, so I got the remastered Crisis 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, I got the remastered Crisis One, Two, and Three yeah. on Xbox, and I've been sort of replaying back through. So I'm partway through Crisis Two at the moment, and and enjoying it. And the combat, the you know, the graphics, the combat, the kind of flow of it, uh, you know, great way they did the kind of the, the sort of stealth thing on the suit and how that fit in the gameplay. That that's very much enjoying that, and that's mm. going really well. Uh, and I've just downloaded, but not started playing yet. I've just got a hold of V Rising, which again, you know, big fan of vampire stuff, big fan of. And you know, uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff going on in that. Yeah, game that, so. that vampire survivor survival, I think it is called. Just, yes, been a bunch of really interesting vampire-y things going on. Which bizarre is game. Just move around and try not to die. Oh, look, you're dead. Never mind. Try again. Yes. <laughs> it's it's uh, and it only twenty two quid. This <laughs> game's like. How? Yeah, no, I'm arguing that one. Yeah, they've, yeah. Been, they've been making, uh, but, they've yeah, been but, breaking it in though. But yeah, it's just two quid. Like, yeah, be rising. I'm just dipping my toe in at the moment. So downloaded, been playing a little bit, really enjoying it, and, yeah. and just seeing the breadth of how much stuff is in that game is very exciting. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that's the first half done with. 
well done. But let us move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into ogre. So, Thomas, I'm not sure how you're going to do this because over the 30 or 40 years this game's been in existence, I still can't describe what it is. But you have a go, Thomas. What is yeah. Ogre? <laughs> so, Ogre is a hex based war game of which the first version of Ogre, which I think is 79, so it's designed by Steve Jackson, who's a you know, legendary games designer. And again, for listeners, it's not the Steve Jackson of Ian Livingstone and Steve Jackson fighting fantasy fame. It's another Steve Jackson. Uh, it's the uh, American Steve Jackson, uh, who, you know, whose many list of game credits includes obviously Ogre, um, Munchkins, probably the most famous one that he's done, Car Wars, Illuminati, a whole, a whole bunch of stuff, you know, very prolific game designer. And, you know, slightly confusingly, I think he did write, he did do, I think, one of the fighting fantasy he books did. was the <laughs> Steve Jackson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I always, you know, take it as a point of pride that I've, I've, you know, I've, I've met virtually on several. Obviously, we met with Steve Jackson, uh, the ogre Steve Jackson, uh, many times, um, and I've also met the other Steve Jackson. So I met both Steve Jacksons. The Steves, um, yeah. Yeah. In, in, yeah, which is a yeah. I think the sense special some unlock you get in like in your life achievement awards when you meet both steve jackson's must yeah be i always say steve we've got steve jackson sorcery yeah. and steve jackson yeah. ogre because i still think yes. they're fantastic games in their own right you yes. know, just... yeah both incredibly yeah legendary and talented game designers yeah um so yeah so designed by by, by steve and so the the first version of the game which was also you know the first version i came across back in 81 82 mm -hmm. um was had at its heart this really interesting idea that you've got one enormous armored vehicle. Yeah, the ogre. Yeah, one enormous armored vehicle that's incredibly powerful uh, versus loads of smaller units. So it's kind of like 
the David versus Goliath, except there's loads of Davids. There's not just one David. <laughs> not just one, yeah. Um, yeah, there's multiple Davids. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's the kind of interesting game challenge is, do you want to be the one really big unit or do you want to be the loads of small but weak units? And, and that sets up the kind of initial premise of the game. And so, you know, if you read the kind of history of the game, he was very much inspired by the novels like the, the Bolo novel series and things like that. And, and came up with this idea, okay, the ogres of the title Ogre are these huge cybernetic war machines. Uh, they're AI controlled. They're, they're, you know, utterly ruthless at combat. They contain a whole battalion worth of firepower in this one enormous vehicle. Um, they're football field sized tanks. And then on the other side, you've got loads of the, you know, infantry and tanks, light tanks, heavy tanks, mm. missile tanks, uh, GVs, which is uh, sort of um, basically military hovercraft type affairs. Mm. Um, and then, you know, howitzers and things like that. And in the initial game, <clears throat> the one player, the player with the lots of units, has to defend a command post against the ogre that's trying to take it out. If the ogre takes out the command post, the ogre wins. If the players manage to stop the ogre before it gets the command post, um, the 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 other you know the 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 non ogre team win and that was the initial one and then since then you know Steve Steve and his colleagues who've worked on it have just grown it and grown it they've built a whole universe around there the world of ogre they they did the first expansion which was the GV expansion adding the, these other new units um, <clears throat> they've added scenarios they they added the, and again the GV rule set adds a set of rules that that add a kind of layer of complexity um, to the the initial game. And so on and so forth, and and then yeah, you get into the forty years of of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's yeah, like I say, it's a it's a a whole thing, and it's enormous and understandably for a game that's basically been through many many editions over the years. Um, I think it's on sixth edition at the moment. Uh, has, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Has likely yeah gathered a huge amount of people who love it and you know, understandably think it's a, a, a brilliant game. And it is a brilliant game. So there we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is this, like, hexadecimal. It looks, not hexadecimal, hex map. Hexadecimal. Hex map um, combat system. But it's not like, you know, you know, Hearts of Iron and stuff. It's not those really, really crunchy, crunchy levels of, like, well, have you got logistics to provide fuel to this tank? No, no, that's all a given. You don't have to worry about that. If you want that, that's fine. There's loads of games about that. In fact, we featured some on this show. But no, Ogre's more about. I think it's a very, very pure. There's a terrible word, but very straightforward and very transparent. That's much better. Tactical game. And that's all. Yes. It really is about being in the right place at the right time. Because yes. I've found when I've, over the years of playing Ogre, when I'm playing not the Ogre. <laughs> Uh, you know, when we're playing that side, it's just you nip in, throw a couple of grenades or something, and run. <laughs> it's just nip in, and then, then, then run uh, if you can, you know, or do it from a range that they can't. Just try to reduce your own because you need if the de- if you you go in fire, then you blick blown up. Then there's not <laughs> you've got to, and it's just a fascinating, fascinating yeah. concept of having this. One super unit against many not so super units, but it doesn't, you know, and it's this wonderful idea. Yeah, and yeah, it's 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 a that asymmetric that asymmetric battle because yeah, you you, you know, the two units are, I mean, over the years they are 
well balanced as a game like it's not like one side has a massive advantage over the other you know different ogre players will tell you which side's slightly easier to play and again i think it varies as to how much experience you have in playing the game as to where you come in but but at, at its heart it has this you know you see it in really old games like is it hafnall that viking take on chess where you know that there's it's like asymmetric chess you know i see it has those kind of interesting almost cultural roots in stuff like that but it yeah it at its core it has this great mechanic of if you're the, the the if you combine your attacks you can make much more powerful attacks which will crack the the armor of your opponent but obviously you make less of them and because you roll a dice on the attack you you you've got a higher chance of succeeding but you've got less of them and it, it's got this great push your luck mechanic of do I combine them all for the one big thing that well, that has a high probability of getting through, or do I make loads of smaller attacks with a lower probability of getting through? And you're always balancing the, you know, like you say, the positioning of where your units are, what where what what your ability to pull them together, do this, and, and it, yeah, it's that great core of ogre is that that choice that the player can make each time. Mm. So, my first design question then. Because the first one was like an introduction to. It's very yeah. if you're not familiar with Ogo, it's very difficult to describe. But I think between a pair of us, it did an adequate job. <laughs> yes, but, I think. Um, the, taking the approach in the video game version or the video digital incarnation of it, is it? It's quite close to replicating the experience of playing Ogo, the board game, and its presentation and layout and all the hexes and stuff. Why? Well, that I mean, ultimately, so the you know little the history of how we came to make that game was you know I'd been a fan of it. I noticed on they did a very successful Kickstarter for the the sixth edition Ogre. They did. I noticed yeah. on the stretch goals that they unlocked was a video game version, and so I reached out to Steve Jackson Games and said, "Hey, you know who's making the video game version? You know, I'm a big fan. I'd love to get involved." And so that's how it came about. You know, and then this was back mm. in 2015, I think. Um, and we, yeah, so we, so, you know, obviously then, you know, Steve himself was, was very keen that yes, he wanted the video game version of it, but he wanted it to be as faithful to the original as possible. You know, oh, over yeah. the years, we've done a lot of these games that have that, like I say, that digital tabletop aesthetic. And sometimes people want that close and other times they're you know, you're just using the setting or the universe like we do to say dark future. Um, so this was very much about make it as close as possible to the board game. And so, yeah, it was a, a very conscious desire to make it. And, and you know, I, I, I had no problem with that in the sense that, you know, there's 40 years of game design evolution and, and everything gone into Ogre. So it's an incredibly solid game. You know, gameplay is rock solid by now. So, yeah, that, that's why we made it so close. Yeah, it's just so easy to, to, to interpret what's going on, where you are, why try and reinvent all of that? Why try to make it yeah. into something else? You could have done, and indeed, this is not the first time Ogre has appeared on a computer game. I seem to remember no. there, was a, there was an IBM and then a C64 version, possibly an <laughs> Apple II version. Um, yes, but, there was, uh, yeah. There was, but I've no idea what they play like. It'd be interesting to have a go, actually. Did you, did you like have a look at those? I, I looked at it when we started working. I didn't play it the first time around, but I looked no. at it when we started working on it, and you know, it's, it's good, but it, it, oh, it, yeah. it only covers the... The, the what we call classic ogre it only covers yeah. that initial map yeah it doesn't have the kind of gev rule sets and stuff like that so it's it's a very it's the kind of yeah it's, it's a very bounded by yeah. the, the original probably, version it's, it's a very good very good adaptation though 
Yeah, it was probably based on what second edition or something like that. Maybe if I'm thinking, because it's probably like mid eighties and something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it would be yeah, something like that. Yeah. But because I remember it used to come in a little plastic box, original ogre, didn't it? It's, it's a tiny little thing. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the original was yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was originally because Steve Jackson wrote it for another games company originally. Right. Um, I can't remember called, and then and then he acquired the rights off them for his Steve Jackson games, his own yeah, company. That's right. Yeah, it's been with their ever. So I think the <clears> first <throat> edition was Steve Jackson games. Yeah, and then every edition after that was. Yeah, yeah, nice. So um, next question then, and it's kind of yes. related to the first. They kind of flow into each other like this, but the dice rolling. It's mm. really transparent in Ogre. It's up in your face. It's not yes. like XCOM where it's like, oh, no. there's some dice rolling going here, but you don't want to see it. I've just shot him a point blank. You got ninety percent of hitting, and I didn't hit him. Well, that's because dice stuff. Yeah. So um, it's the old adage of that particular game. But do you do anything to ensure a certain level of randomness? Because we all know that we could have a whole and there's there's PhDs on this very topic of randomness and computers and devices and stuff what have you done to make sure that you that does because it is it does like actually roll of the physical dice actually is so what have you done to make sure that there is some sense of yeah there's something weird's going to happen here despite me being right up close i think you say that the being the transparent seeing the dice roll is is the first one i, I think because yeah. we're working on it yeah. we're working on a d6 yes. basis I think it's easier for the player to because the, the thing with interpreting whether some, you feel something's random is is partly about whether it truly is random, and then partly about whether you perceive that randomness. So to give a good idea, I, I don't know if this is okay, but that anecdotal story is that with you know with um, playlists and iPods and things like that, although they when you click randomize, they aren't purely random. Like every time there's a random chance of each one playing because you'd hear the same track several times and you'd think that doesn't sound very random to me. Yeah. So your perception of what random is, is so it's actually quite crafted algorithmically to not be that random to actually relative to what you've recently heard. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, there's a perception of it. I, I think, you know, and I've worked on, you know, a number of games that have had dice roll percentage dice rolls and my experience, and this is anecdotal of players playing the games is, they they attach a much more intentionality to a result being fixed or 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 accurate when it's on that margin of like if you've got to get yeah if you've got to get ninety nine uh, you know got to get ninety nine percent or higher say ninety five percent or higher for a hit and you 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 get ninety four they will perceive that as a slight in a way that. <laughs> Or, yeah. or you know, or you know, a, an enemy unit's got a one percent chance of hitting you, and it does. Be like, oh come on, why did that happen? But of course, yeah. that your percentage chance of rolling huh. 01 is the same as rolling thirty eight, as the same as rolling sixty seven. Yeah. But our perception, because it's an unlikely thing, yes, is that it, unlikely things just don't happen. But of course, they do happen. But they yeah. happen about one hundred chance. So. Whereas with the D6, I think our understanding that even if something's a one in six chance of happening, that's still a reasonably high chance. We still get that. That's that's likely, you know, well, not likely. It's not unlikely, should we say. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. So if you say you're going to hit on a six, you, you think you've got a reasonably good chance as opposed to you're going to hit on, a, you know, you're going to hit on a, Say uh, seven, you know, eighty-five percent or above. You know, yeah. it's 
think it's about that. So yeah, firstly, you know, very transparent on that. And obviously then, you know, playing it loads, having played the board game loads, playing the game loads, you're, you're always aware that it's got to feel like the board game plays. So, you know, that, that, that to us, the transparency of the dice is a big part of it. The fact that it's D6 rather than mm. other dice thing, I think helps a lot so that the actual randomness, which, it, you know, it is as truly random as we can make it in a video game, um, comes across basically. Yeah, I, I, I've had people, because I have a, this crystalline glass tower, sort of dice tower at, 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 in my home. I just know, it's not mobile at all. Once you build it, it's there. You can't move it. It's an extraordinary thing. But the amount of people, sort of, they roll dice, and they blame the tower when they get a bad result. Like, Yeah, well, you know, on, on a lot of games I've done with randomised things, and I think I did this on Ogre, but, it, you know, it's a good few years ago. But I definitely know I've done it on other games. Uh, the first time I did it was a game called Call of Cthulhu, The Wasted Land, was I got the, the coder to just run that part of the system and just spit numbers out onto a big text file box. And then, you know, and so we got like, you know, a few hundred numbers and then, you know, popped it into a spreadsheet, added it up, meaned it. Is it coming in where it should do? Yeah. Okay, great. It's working. It's working. Yeah. What are you going to do? So next question. Ogre, one of its strengths I found as a kid, Mm. I used to love doing this is, you know, developing scenarios, rules and concepts and, strategies and, and it's something i did when i first got hold of it when i played through the standard ones like, oh we could make my own it's like you know so it's yeah. up there if you're a quest you, know, you could make your own dungeons and stuff um so how have you found developing scenarios for each engagement for for ogre um yeah so we so the, if you get the steam version of it there's a yeah. scenario editor which allows you to make them there but you know uh, there, there's a kind of interesting thing of like you know when we did the development of it it's probably more of interest for people on that nerdy side of it like so the single player game comes with uh the you know the, so the console and the pc version both have this big campaign which is really great really good fun to play through um and yes, I can that, that. Yeah, and that that was oh, thank you. That was a the original of that was made by Steve Jackson Games. So they, I think they had one they'd used in tournaments or one related to that. Right. And they essentially like took that basis and sort of built it out. And then they gave us that and said, "Oh, great, here's a campaign." And then we started playing it, and it's like, ah, this isn't going to quite work. And not because like conceptually it was great, the ideas were great, everything. But this is where you realize the first difference between video game creators and board game creators was. Every for the the campaign, every mission of the campaign in the board game version was well balanced. That it didn't matter which side you played, it was an enjoyable experience because the assumption is there's two people stood around a table playing it. Whereas when you stitch those campaigns together in a single player game in a video game, you want the difficulty of the levels to go up as you go along mm. because you player get better at playing you want the difficulty level to rise generally to meet you right and you know there was the first thing is like they they because which which is no fault on their part because that's how they think about if you're making a campaign game it's two players playing it you know if you want the the player playing you know one side of it needs to enjoy the game as much as playing the first game of it and you don't necessarily know that it's the same player all the way through so they had they had built it as a a board game aesthetic of two people playing yeah as we had to kind of build it as an ai versus the player experience which is different yeah um so yeah it's kind of interesting thing there but um but yeah i mean you know so that that was but it was also really great to work where 
we had their materials that we were able to use. We adapted them in little parts, chunks mm. of it, kind of as they were. But that was a really enjoyable experience doing that. So, yeah, really, really great to be part of a team making that. It's interesting because I, I, most of the board games I play are with more than three people, three at minimum. So that's why I didn't really back the Kickstarter for Ogre. Like, yeah. It's a big old game. I don't play two-player games. Oh, well. <laughs> and when the video game arrives, well, perfect, I can now play it because, you know, just don't i'm always playing four or five players board games which is a lovely place to be but you know it's it's uh, it does it does make it um difficult but uh, i'm really happy to hear that you're recognizing that an ai and the interaction with an ai is very different to another human being and uh, of course you've had to do that with your uh your campaign development so last question and this is related to our very first one or the zeroth one <laughs> In that those who are not familiar with Ogre, so you've got new players in Ogre, they, 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 the concept is there's a big super tank and then there's a load of other units around it. And mm. how have you found explaining to new players the concept that there is a, the equal chance of success between the Ogre and the smaller, weaker units and that mm. there is... They do both have a chance of victory. One... The, the 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 lay person or inexperienced player would go well. Clearly, Ogre's going to always win. It's just unstoppable until you mm. communicate them that you know they're not. I do really really like your tutorial and how it's layered. And I can't congratulate you enough because I know how oh, monumentally difficult it is to make a really good tutorial. So you did a very good <laughs> job there because you did oh. start off very early, like movement firing. Okay, mm. you got that now. Yeah. Let's go to advance. And let's talk about, you know, infiltrating the tank itself and trying to blow it up from the inside. That's always fun. Yeah. And all that kind yeah. of stuff. But I just want to ask, you know, how have you found communicating this? All these, this core aspect of one versus many, there is an equal footing here. Well, I think we have the advantage in that in the video game version, you've got, obviously, you've got the tutorial you do, then you've got the campaign, um, but you've got all of the original um but so not all of them, but the majority of the original sort of, well, certainly all the classic Ogre missions and then the GVA missions, a whole bunch of them. So you can go through the missions playing either side straight away once you've you know once you've gone through the tutorial. And we find, you know, again, anecdotally, players tend to do a bunch of that stuff first before they take on the the main um, sort of narrative campaign because it is it is harder than some of those. That gives them the chance to be either side. Uh, and that was very deliberate on our part. One, it mirrors the board game, which is you buy the board game, you can play either side. Um, you know, find your friend and play either side with them. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that's definitely what I did when I got over is, you know, grab with my, my friend who's my cousin who used to play it with. We'd be one side, then the other, and then we'd flip sides and kind of see where it goes. So it gives you that ability to kind of play around in the, the sandbox, if you like, of all the many years of Ogre content that's there. And then in and out of the campaign as much as you want. Um, and I think that's that's our kind of take on how we get it. What's interesting is the audience of Ogre is a mix of newer people who've come to it, who come across it, and people who've been around it for years or played it when they were done. So some of our audience kind of know what they're getting into and, and are very well versed in that. And others in our audience are yeah, are, are are there. But then we yeah, just encourage them to kind of mess around in all these other existing missions and enjoy that. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. The only way you're going to learn is actually taking both roles on and realising that they are compatible, comparable with each other, which doesn't make a lot of sense because one is 
can't does move, but not you know it doesn't got the control of the map as the other side has because that's the that's the that's the benefit of the other side. Yes, they're they're weaker armor and there's but they can nip in, shoot, and then fly off again. And you can't yes. do that. You are the target. So all you've got is just yes. only the best form of defense is attack and just terrorizing yes. everything. And sometimes that's really <laughs> successful. I mean, there yes. are times we're going, you know, I've had times when I'm thundering towards something and it just fled. Like, no, because I'd much rather <laughs> stick around than, you know, deal with that because it's no. But it's <laughs> that, then, then, that, then what happens is they draw you into a trap, which is wonderful when that happens. They draw you in and all of a sudden, oh, God, there's like five missile tanks around me. This is going to end well. Not for me, though. <laughs> you know? But um, no, I, I think you've done a really good job of. of because it's empathy isn't it you've got to remember mm. what it's like you've got to recall back when that game was first plumped on your table like I've no this looks terrifying it's not it really isn't there's way more complex games than this it is not Terra Mystica look it up everyone okay <laughs> yes. uh, it's not that trust me no. that, there's a great place no. for that game don't get me wrong but it's not here um, no. and um, it's, it's and that's fine uh, and uh, uh, that was just that's my only sort of uh, point of concern is that when you are like faced with such an extraordinarily uh, asymmetric experience. I mean, I play a lot of asymmetric games. There's a lot of Eric Lang yeah. games like Chaos in the Old World and all that sort of stuff, all based on asymmetric sides and stuff. <laughs> whereas the latest one is uh, Ankh. Um, but Ogre so so asymmetric it's just it's just really getting over that hump and i think you and and, and the rest of all digital have done such a wonderful job of explaining it very very carefully to make sure that there's that, that is appreciated there's strengths on both sides not just on one well thank you that's that's very kind of you to say and yeah yeah i think obviously we would encourage people to check it out themselves um you know yeah, but, yeah. but if you do yeah grab that classic ogre scenario that the kind of um, the the one the one ogre versus the kind of it, it's the first one that's listed in the um, scenarios because there's the campaign and the scenarios in the game and yeah play on one side play on the other side uh, you know once you've done the tutorial it's a great way of finding a way and I think ogre is one of these games that you know lots of people say of their games you know e easy to easy to play you know hard to master but I think ogre is one of those things that really does have that it, the layers yes. of complexity in the strategies. Once you understand the different things, and 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 with that great aspect of randomness in it, that things don't always work out quite as the quite as you expect them to. You know, sometimes the odd things happen. Um, it just means the the range of strategies that you can do that you can bring to bear are huge. And as you understand what you can do with the different units, yeah, it then really starts to dawn on you just how much emergent complexity is in those strategies. So yeah, if somebody is looking for something they can learn quite quickly and kind of get their head around the basics, but want to have something they can really immerse themselves in, you know, getting their head around, then yeah, it's definitely the game for you. Absolutely. I think one of the wonderful parts about it is that you, you mitigate. I'm, when I'm playing one side, the side of the many, many troops, I'm constantly mitigating against the likelihood of failure. Like, Okay, right. this this is one of these units is going to fail in this attack. However, if I've got four of them, hey, 
yeah doing this you know shooting and like you know reduce the impact of failure that's that's how it works it's a very basic way of looking at it but you know throwing numbers throwing bodies at a problem yeah great good good job chris um so ogre was developed by Auroc digital what a wonderful name where's it come from uh, so early on, like I said, we did consultancy and um, I was doing some work for an organization and they were like, you kind of need a company because we don't, you know, that's that's how we pay our consultants. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. used to, so, you know, you need a company. And so I was like, all right, I need something quickly. And, you know, I'm quite into prehistory and um, Aurox are these fascinating, the pre-runner of cattle. So it's the, mm. the non-domesticated version of a cow. Um, you know, which we used to as these very, like, very docile creatures, but they had this previous incarnation that were wild and quite dangerous and, yeah, you know, that yeah. that we, our, our ancestors would have hunted. And so I, I quite like the idea of something very old, some, something that's familiar yet not familiar. So aurochs, like, they look a bit like cows, but they're not. But they're not, um, yeah. Yeah. And so I took that, changed the spelling slightly to make it our own thing, added the word digital, because, again, it was this idea of, this old thing and a new thing. So it's the contrast of a thing you know and a thing you don't, a thing that's old and a thing that's new and just sort of wraps it together and that's where Auroch Digital came from. Excellent. Fantastic answer. And what uh, what platforms is Ogre available on right now? So the, so there's the Steam version, uh, which you can get, and it's on Mac and PC on Steam. That has multiplayer and it has the um, scenario editor I mentioned in. And then there's a console edition that we've just launched um, which has slightly different um, functions, so it doesn't have the multiplayer, and, and obviously it doesn't have Steam Workshop on it, um, but lo- lots of adapted stuff to the console thing, so that's on PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch. And you can also go to Steve Jackson's website, sjgames.com, and you can download the rules are kind of for the game itself are there, uh, and you can also buy a copy of the physical game, which I'd recommend as well. So they're all kind of out there. So, yes, Ooh, okay. immerse yourself in the world of Ogre. Yeah, do that. Do that. Um, Thomas, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Genuinely has. Well, it's been a real pleasure to to meet you, Chris. And yeah, thank you so much for the invite. And and I guess the final little plug I can do if you mentioned in the when we were chatting before that, you know, there's various audiences. So if, if there are audiences of peers and interested game developers or optical is recruiting at the moment. So <laughs> there you go. Digital.com jobs go and check out what yeah. we're doing if you want to come and make weirdly nerdy war games that cross yeah, yeah. the boundary between physical and digital come and check us out good stuff well thomas you're more than welcome to come back to chat about we'd love next, to yes next year puts us on but uh we've had a lot of repeat guests over the years uh roll seven and the current record holders with four appearances i believe uh, yeah yeah i did uh ollie ollie world that's the last one yes yes so, yeah. good stuff um, but until then thank you very much Well, thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. (laughs) 